0: This is BMO Smarter Investing for November 2022. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Gutierrez, and Jennifer Lee for trends and forecasts across the economic landscape, so you can make more thoughtful investment decisions.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sal Gutierrez, and joining me is Doug Porter, Chief Economist, for an encore discussion about the inflation outlook. There's been a little more good news than bad on this front in recent weeks. Notably, the decline in oil prices and improved supply chains. But is this enough to stop the relentless rate-hiking campaign of central banks that now risks tipping the economy into recession? Doug, we last spoke about our inflation outlook in this podcast series in July, focusing on whether the worst was over. At the time we concluded, no, while a peak is likely near, the path back to price stability will be painfully slow. Since then, we have some evidence that inflation in Canada and the U.S. has indeed topped out, but we continue to believe that the consensus view and in investors are underestimating the stickiness in inflation. Can you explain?
0: Yeah, and I'd stick with that overall theme that we last discussed. It does indeed look like the worst is over, but to this point, a lot of that is simply due to energy prices. Most of the relief that we've seen, whether it's you know the latest numbers out of Europe or the earlier decline that we saw in U.S. and Canada was largely gasoline price story. Meanwhile, it's it's a very different picture when we look at underlying inflation. And I think that's where the Bank of Canada and the Fed's focus is is going to be trained on now. And in, in that case, we really haven't seen any relief whatsoever. In Canada, in fact, if anything, core inflation is still moving higher. It's uh, now above 5%. In the U.S., so-called core underlying inflation, excluding food and energy, is, is very sticky in the uh, slightly above 6% range. I continue to believe that the surprise over the next year Even if we do get some relief on energy prices, the surprise is that those core measures are going to remain very slow to come down, frustratingly uh, slow. And so we remain a little bit above consensus on inflation in both Canada and the U.S. Now, having said that, there's no doubt there have been some positive indicators. The pullback in energy prices, I I believe, is, is great news, especially for the inflation outlook, of course. But there's still a ways to go here, and uh, I'm sticking with my view that inflation is going to surprise the consensus to the high side over the next year, even with this better news on energy prices.
1: Yeah, very much uh, looks like seeing some good things at the, on the headline front, headline rates of inflation coming down. But when you strip through some of those volatile items and the help we're getting with lower energy costs, uh, those core measures on both sides of the border are still uh, running uncomfortably high and, and nowhere close to the 2% target. So. I would tend to agree that still a lot more work to be done on this front. Now, with uh, consumer demand swinging toward deferred services from the goods we were loading up on in the pandemic, it appears that uh, the baton has also swung towards services inflation. And that's worrisome as it tends to be uh, more persistent than goods inflation. Is this a key reason we see uh, upside risk to the inflation outlook?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really important point. You often have heard in the last year that this is mostly an issue about supply chains, you know, a lot of consumer demand for things like autos and furniture and appliances. And that is just not where the inflation pressure is anymore. So it's definitely good news that the supply chains are improving. They're not all the way back to pre-pandemic levels by any means, especially in the auto sector. But generally speaking, you know, we are seeing the supply chain pressures relenting a bit. You know, we're seeing lots of stories about retailers having to trim prices or price a bit more aggressively because they built up a lot of inventory. We've heard about commodity prices above and beyond oil backing down from their highs. That's all very good news. And it does show that the worst of the inflation pressure for goods is behind us. But the less good news is we're seeing just the opposite in services. Services price inflation is actually still accelerating. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors for it. But, at its root, what really drives, tends to drive service inflation is wages. And don't get me wrong, wages have not been the issue. They have not been the main cause of the inflation we've had in the last 18 months by any stretch of the imagination. But I think this is almost like round two. You know, this is the echo effect of that big run-up that we saw in commodity prices and, and oil prices and food prices in the past year. And this was always the central bank concern that that initial bump up in those specific items would then lead to broader inflation. It would lead to wage inflation that then becomes much more sticky. And really, I think that's the thing to watch here. Forget about things like the supply chain. It's still an issue, but it's not really what's driving inflation. Really, the thing to watch now is services inflation at its root, wages. And and to answer your question specifically, yes, this is why we do remain a little bit above consensus in terms of where we see inflation over the next year.
1: So it seems like a lot of that low-hanging fruit on the inflation front is already picked now. So there were some temporary forces lifting inflation, in particular, the big run-up in commodity prices, which is now reversed course, and and those supply chain disruptions, which not back to normal yet, but certainly making a lot of progress. But you're right, just seems like the persistence factors, the excess demand that's now kind of spilling over into the services sector and pushing up inflation, it's going to be a a longer-term issue central banks will need to uh, deal with. Now, in a recent Focus publication article, you mentioned five broad forces that are keeping inflation aloft. And as you say, need to stop going wrong before inflation can calm down. Can you explain?
0: Yeah, And when we look back at how did we get here? How did we get to 7% inflation after years and years of being about one and a half to 2%? And I like to point to five factors that at least in Canada, and I think this actually translates into a lot of other economies as well, but specifically in Canada, five different factors that have boosted inflation so dramatically and, and very briefly one is the reopening bounce you know when you think about it last year nobody was traveling this year it seemed like everybody was traveling and of course that led to a lot of hopefully temporary pressure on things like airfares and hotel rates second of is has, has been the uh, the global energy price surge we saw record gasoline prices this summer but it's not just gasoline prices diesel prices still remain very high and of course natural gas prices have offered a third leg of uh, strength there The third factor, I talked about it a little bit earlier, were the supply chain pressures. You know, things like furniture and appliance prices went nowhere for years and years and years, and then it's almost like everybody in the world wanted to buy a dishwasher all at once, and of course, it just stressed the global supply chain. Now, it does look like we are seeing some relief on that one. That's one that does look like it's stopped going wrong. Fourth factor, I would say, is the global food crisis. You know, we talk a lot about grocery prices in Canada. There's a laser like focus on the double digit increase we've seen in grocery prices, but we are seeing that almost everywhere. That is not a Canadian story. We're seeing that in the US, in Britain, in, in Europe. They've all got double digit increases. And one of our colleagues, Aaron Gertzen, just put out a piece last week looking at the outlook for food prices. And frankly, this is one I'm worried about. I don't see it turning around quickly. I think it's going to continue to add a bit of pressure to overall inflation. And the fifth and final factor, this is a bit more specific to Canada, but not not entirely, and that was the pandemic housing boom. Now, existing home prices don't go directly into the CPI. They work their way in through things like new home prices and, and rent and even eventually mortgage rates. But all those factors have led to further pressure on inflation. Now, looking at those five things, I think there is some grounds for optimism. Some of them look like they may be past or worse, as I said, the supply chain. But that's really five things that have got to stop going wrong and perhaps even start going right to get inflation back down towards 2%. And that's why this is going to be a challenging task. And the one thing I always like to tell people is there's is no one light switch here that we can just easily turn off and make inflation go away. That's a lot of different factors that we need to turn around over the next uh, year or so.
1: And you mentioned uh food costs. That's probably the most worrisome aspect of the whole inflation story because it's it's basically an area central banks have very little control of. They can Crank down on the economy as hard as they want, and yet food costs probably won't be affected very much. We're really at the whim of the weather, the severe droughts, for example, and of course the war in Ukraine. So, not much can be done there, but hopefully things will turn for the better on the food cost front. Now, in a relative sense, Canada has less of an inflation problem than the US, especially Europe. We know that soaring energy costs are a key reason for double digit inflation across much of Europe. But what explains the near one percentage point lower CPI rate versus
0: the United States? Yeah, and it's interesting because Canada's actually towards the lower end of the, of the spectrum, at least among advanced economies, in terms of our inflation rate. I mean, it's it's very high for us, but just about everybody else has got an even more serious issue, and that's interesting because you know we've actually seen a weakening in the Canadian dollar in the last year, which has aggravated our inflation rate a little bit. So to have a A markedly lower inflation rate in Canada, and especially lower than in Europe, is notable. If I talk in general terms, you know, I think one of the reasons why Canada has been a bit behind the U.S. in a good way is because we were later to reopen, so we got the reopening pressure later on prices. Also, our our labor market has been not as tight. It's tight in Canada, but it's not nearly as tight as it is in the U.S. If we drill down into specific factors in the consumer basket when we try to parse out what's really different in Canada than the US right now, it's sort of four quirky areas that I, I don't see as being really related that are now accounting for for most of the difference. Uh, electricity prices are arguably the biggest, the biggest cause of that gap. In other words, Canadian electricity prices have been relatively modest, whereas in the US they've risen by double digits. A couple others, airfares, auto insurance, and telephone services, we've seen some of the biggest differences between Canada and the U.S. I personally don't see an obvious theme among those four areas. And so I actually tend to believe we might see a bit of a narrowing in the gap over the next year between Canada and the U.S. as you know, as we get more of the reopening completed. And also, I think as the U.S. cools down, we'll, we'll see some of that difference between the U.S. And, and Canada narrow over the next year on the inflation side.
1: So Canada really can't crow that much about having lower inflation than many other advanced countries because largely reflecting some special factors. And for the most part, going forward now, we'll probably see pretty slow rates of decline in inflation across the advanced world, including in in Canada. Now, um, central banks have taken some of the blame for high inflation. They're clearly the ones who will need to put it back in the bottle. They have been fiercely front-loading rate hikes to catch up, but has signaled a likely slower pace ahead. Where do you see the Bank Canada and Fed taking rates in the months ahead?
0: Well, fair warning, we're pretty close to uh, market pricing at this point. So this is not a particularly radical call by any means. I think the bottom line here is we don't think either central bank is done just yet, but we are getting close to the finish line. We see the Bank of Canada raising rates by another 75 basis points in total or three quarters of a percentage point from here. So that would bring their overnight interest rate up to four and a half percent. Just to put it in perspective, they started 2022 at just one quarter of a percent, so that is an enormous 425 basis points of total rate hikes in the short space of a year. You know, one of the most dramatic tightenings that we've seen. The Fed, we think they'll still raise rates by another full percentage point. That would leave some spread, some daylight between U.S. and Canadian interest rates. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason why the Canadian dollar was under a bit of pressure earlier in the fall because the markets were coming around to the view that, yes, indeed, the Fed is likely to raise interest rates by more than the Bank of Canada. But I think the second part of the forecast that I would assert is every bit as important is we then see both central banks holding interest rates at those levels through 2023. There's a lot of chatter in the market and some other forecasters are looking for rate cuts as early as the second half of 2023. I don't see that. I see that, you know, rate, reductions is more of a story in 2024. And I just wanna pound home the point that we're not going back to the levels that we're at in 2021. The kind of rate cuts that we're talking about are trims. They're not a full reversal of this rise in interest rates. The central banks are going above and beyond what they would call neutral, or they're going into restrictive territory. As inflation comes down, they won't need to stay there, but they're not gonna be able to go all the way back to those extreme lows that we saw in 2021. So for those folks out there who are holding their breath, waiting for rates to get back to those extreme lows. I don't think it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think it's very unlikely central banks will reverse gears. in next year, even if we go into mild recession in both the U.S. and Canada, I mean, it really comes down to inflation. And we still see CPI rates that are north of 3%, well above the 2% targets. I just can't see them cutting rates that early. I mean, they surely would not want to get blamed if, for whatever reason, inflation reversed course once again and headed back higher. So I I think they will try to delay easing policy as as long as possible. But, you know, assuming that inflation is on that downward course, then 2024, early that year, probably is the most likely time when they'll start trimming things back. Now, I guess the million dollar question, will these further rate hikes uh, tip our economy into recession?
0: So we've officially had a, a mild or shallow recession built into our forecast for more than a couple months now. We still do. I have to tell you, in recent weeks, both the Canadian and U.S. economies have, uh, have somewhat surprised to, to the strong side. They both seem to be ending 2022 firmer than we expected. In other words, both economies seem to be managing the big run-up in interest rates, at least so far. You know, for instance, we recently just got an indicator from Canada that showed the economy grew at almost a 3% annual rate in the third quarter, which was much better than we or most others or even the Bank of Canada expected about double the pace that most expected. The early indications for the fourth quarter in the U.S. suggest that some indicators are pointing to three or 4% growth in the fourth quarter. That's a long way from recession. And, you know, both economies have managed to churn out job gains in recent months. So it, it does look like the economy is actually ending 2022 firmer than, than what we expected. We still think that the big run-up in interest rates will start to bite down harder next year. And so at this point, we are officially forecasting, as I said, a shallow recession. I will stress, it's not locked in stone. There certainly is still a path through which the North American economies could avoid a recession. I would actually give it about a one in four chance that they'll avoid an outright downturn. But unfortunately, I also think there's about a one in four chance that things turn out a lot worse than just a shallow recession. And you know, there I would point to a lot of the geopolitical concerns that we all read and hear about every day as being arguably the biggest uh, risk to the uh, the outlook in 2023. I mean, when you think back to this year, what really caused a lot of the damage? What caused you know most of the stress? Why did central banks have to get so aggressive? Well, you can you can point at least one of your fingers at the invasion of of Ukraine, a geopolitical issue. And so that's what I see as being the biggest downside risk in in 2023. But to answer your question, I do think we're past the point where basically it will take at least a mild downturn to really crack inflation over over the next year.
1: Yeah, can't agree uh, more with you, uh, Doug. It just seems like any good news on the economy we get today will only result in tougher times ahead if it ends up just keeping inflation sticky and stubbornly high because central banks will just need to lean against. That higher inflation rate and the higher rates go, the greater the odds will slip into a downturn and could ultimately be much, much more than just a mild downturn if things go that way. And, you know, I think back at some of the work we did in the department where we look back at Fed policy going back six decades and the inflation rate was as high as it, it was this year and unemployment rates and policy rates were as low as they were at the start of this tightening cycle. The Fed really doesn't have a great track record at avoiding downturns or achieving soft landings. It just doesn't happen. So the odds are are certainly against it in accomplishing a soft landing this time. But we'll see. Might get very lucky on the inflation front, but it will come down to getting some luck there. So it looks like, I guess, inflation partly beaten, but likely to, to put up a fight until the economy weakens further meaning we are unlikely to see central banks reverse course until early 2024. Doug, thanks for uh, the engaging discussion and insights. And thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We are here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information on how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. And be sure to subscribe to this show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.